Today we're having a report on my trip to Zambia. and I would like to tell you the history of my involvement in Western Zambia so that every one of you can understand. I do believe that in the future of Dynamic Love Ministries, I'm going to be heavily involved in preaching there, reaching out and bringing the gospel of Jesus there. And I would like for our web church to understand what this is all about. About 20 years ago, in 1997, that is 22 years ago, I was working with an organization called Word of Life Church in Zambia. The pastor there was uh, pastor Lalema, he's passed away, I think, a year or two ago. And uh, I asked him, I said, Pastor Lema, I would like to go and preach in a place where nobody wants to go to, where it's too difficult to go to, where most people don't want to go to. I see me- most people uh, love to preach in cities and in developed places, but I would like to go to a place where nobody goes. And then he took me to Kalabu. That is in the western part of Zambia, which is also called the Barozi land area. When, the, when Zambia was still called Northern Rhodesia, the Barozi land area was like a little country on its own called Barozi land. And they were governed by a king. And when Zambia got its independence from, uh, from England, then they became one with Barozi land and that then formed Zambia. But there was some discrepancy between the president and the king back then, and then no development came to the old Barosiland or what we call today Western Zambia. Western Zambia still seeks their independence again from Zambia now. They want to be called Barosiland again and go back to basically the old way it was. Now, they took me there, and I started to... Uh, well, I had a passion to go there, and Ilian and I back then, we took all the money we had, and we got a trip together, and we drove from uh, where we lived then, called Potchestrum, drove all the way up to Zambia, and got there with great effort. The roads back then was a complete mess. It took us days to travel uh, two, two or three hundred kilometers uh, what I would do now in four or five hours took us like three days. We had many breakdowns on the way. The vehicle caught fire. My wife had a miscarriage in the bush there. But we just continued, went into Kalabu. And as I drove into Kalabu, there was a guy standing next to the road. And I asked him, uh, I mean, the roads there isn't what it's supposed to be at all. You cannot, it's just a, a village. Uh, basically, and I asked the man next to the road, please uh, show us to the police station. Is there a police station close close by? Because we need permission to preach there, and I want to come and do an outreach. This guy just started to swear at me, uh, cuss me out, and walked off. And I just said, Lord, please save this man. Uh, and that was, I mean, my wife was busy having a miscarriage. We were looking for a place. It was just a mess. We wanted a hospital, police station, all those kind of things. I asked for that, and they, um, they just, he just didn't offer any help. Well, we, um, we got to the, to the places we had to be, hospital, uh, police station, and so forth, and I started to do an outreach there and preach the gospel. And the Wednesday, the man that was cussing me out got saved in Kalabu. And uh, 
we also then started a church with a person they placed there, a local pastor, or not a local pastor, a pastor they placed there, somebody that got saved there, got trained, and we started a little church. And uh, that church today uh, branched out into nine different branches. Now, in Zambia, they call it branches. A branch of a church is basically another church that was also started by that church. So Word of Life Church in Zambia is now uh, in Western Zambia, that area there. We've got nine branches there uh, spreading only the message of grace. As time went on, the local pastor there, I think it was Pastor Chris, he uh, was placed into another area, moved to another area into Zambia, and the church was then given over to a man called Jerry Masaliso. Jerry is now the pastor of the nine churches. He started many of those churches himself, and he was the very man that was cussing me out, swearing at me as we drove into Zambia. He's a very kind man, a soft-spoken man, but uh, uh, fully persuaded and walking only in the message of God's grace. Now, with Jerry there, I, I felt enough peace in my heart because I know that he is not going to back down from the gospel of grace. I felt, let me buy some property and let us see if we can get a mission station going there so that we can do more outreach into that area. In, um, we're not going to do that now, but into our next slide, we, I'm going to show you where this area is, and just west from where we are, are, I would say, a thousand villages, if I just take a wild guess, at least of people that don't have churches. There are some of the Seventh-day Adventists, a group that has some churches in those villages, but the majority of those people are, I think they would know about the name of Jesus, uh, but there's not churches. It is wild there, if I can uh, call it like that. People need the gospel desperately, and I wanted a mission station so that we can then reach out into that area. I went and we bought some land. It took us many years to get them to come and mark out the land so that we can get to a place wherein we could start to build and uh, start the mission station. And this trip that I went on to now was the trip wherein I drilled a well on our property there wherein, uh, so that we can have water so that we can start our mission station. So the vision that I have is to reach out in that area. But... More about that later. Let me just show you quickly the picture. Let me show you a map on uh, of where that is. Okay. There you can see the continent of Africa. The continent of Africa, uh, for those of you that, are, um, that don't know how big Africa is, it's many times bigger than the United States. Uh, it's a very, very big continent. And you can see on the left there, uh, on the whole map of Africa, the blue line, that is about 3,100 kilometers. And uh, it took me about three and a half days of traveling because I only travel in daylight, uh, not at night. There's too many animals on the roads. And it took me three and a half days to reach Zambia. You can see on the right, the picture on the right there, uh, at the bottom is where we stay, a town called Malmesbury. And then I drive north and then cross the Nam Namibian border, 
and most of the driving is done through Namibia. At the top, you will see there where it goes from uh, horizontally. That's called the Caprivi area. Very beautiful there. And then uh, after I've driven from the most southern tip to the most northern tip of Namibia, I cross over into Zambia, and then it's another five or six hours to get to Kalabu. Now, on our next slide, I'm going to show you just a little bit of, of, of the trip. Just uh, this uh, top left, that's about 100 kilometers north of Malmesbury, where we stay. Both of those pictures. Um, it's just a beautiful area. Uh, this is now, we're just starting to, uh, we've just had some rain and uh, starting to go into our growth season there, planting wheat and whatever in this area. Then at the bottom left picture, you can see that is getting into the northern parts of uh, the northern Cape, northern parts of the western part of South Africa. And then on the right there, you see how dry it is. Now that is normal. That is a desert area in the northern parts of South Africa. After you've gone through the Knasflak, they're getting closer to the Zambian, or closer to the Namibian border. Our next slide will show you the uh, the border. This is the border. On the right-hand side, you get South Africa, uh, and on the left is Namibia. That is called the um, no, the Limpopo River. <laughs> uh, the Limpopo River. How can I forget that? It's our biggest river, um, and th that's where we cross over. Very beautiful area in the middle of the desert. A, a river running through there, and some farms on the border of that. I didn't put some pictures of Namibia in there. I think the next one shows Zambia, where I've arrived in Zambia. Don't want to do too much about the trip, the driving there. But this is basically uh, the first the first place we've stayed, and I've uh, put a little tent there under a thatch roof. Some of you on some of my pages, you've seen that picture. And I've stayed there many times, and it's just a typical African village that is breakfast we've had there. Uh, in the back, you see the round little hut there. That is a part of the kitchen. Completely in the back, you'll see the kitchen area. And that is, that is how the people live. Most tasty food. Nice to be there. I enjoy it so much. Okay, you can move to our next slide there. This is Pastor Jerry standing in front of his church building there. Um, uh, Elena, I think if we can go to the next slide and then we'll come back to this one. There you can see the building, the old building on the left, which was a mud building with a, a corrugated iron roof there, which is imported for them because important for them because if you use thatch, you just get naughty kids and just for the fun they burn the places down. You know, so um, the the iron roof is very important for them. So that's what they have there. That church was burned down before, and we donated the roof for them, and uh, they used that for a while. Then a friend came. You can go back to the other slide there, previous. Then a friend came from America. I brought him with to Kalabu, and he was deeply touched by what was going on, and they gave some finances towards the church. And this church that you see behind him is a brand-new church. I think it's about a a year old, if I'm not mistaken, uh, and they built that. That church was built for about 
it, it was just less than $6,000 for the whole building, including the benches and everything. Building cost there is very low. And you can see Pastor Jerry there, just a happy man, always smiling, always making some jokes, passionate about the grace of God. Okay, next slide there. Um, Good morning, everybody. just want to show you more or less where I am. This is uh, just my drive from where I stay to the grounds where we drill the well. So we'd just like to show you more or less uh, where we are. This is what we would call uh, a neighborhood just outside of town. And uh, yeah, this is it. It's very sandy here. The whole area is sand. And uh, drilling a well is not that difficult here because of uh, the sand, sandy soil. That's why we could drill by hand. But here's just a view. Some of you can have an idea. Hi there, sir. So, um, yeah, this is it. Just want to share that with you. And then I will show you guys as well where our land is. Okay. Um, from this first bush on the right here is our property. And then you see there we've put a small temporal structure up there just so that we can get electricity from that pole because you must have some form of a structure but we didn't want to build because we don't have any water so we've got temporal structure right here and uh, that is where we will have our uh, that's where we have our electricity uh, to and then from there we've now dug the well and uh, or drilled the well and then from there we will be able to build and put them uh, uh, permanent structures up okay so uh, here we come you see the the mud house over there that's the guy that was just guarding the land for us making sure that other people don't come and live here okay okay I'm starting there at that tree giving you just a view of our property here so you can see where this house is. The house is in the front here. That's the border of our property. And then as we go to the center, you see that house over there. That's the other border. It's just a road in between our property and that house. And uh, then all the way around. And then you see that fence there. The guy will have to move it because he took a bit of our land. Move it back. Here we are drilling in the middle of the land and then over there in the center now you see a little temple structure with a satellite dish on it and my car park to the left of it. That's somebody who's guarding the land for us here and then uh, moving around um, you will see where the power line is, is basically border. And then we'll see this temple structure in the middle here. That is what we've put up 
so that we can put electricity to the land so that once we've put the well in, we can have water to put permanent structures. And then a 360 would be back to that tree there again. That's it. This is how we, uh, we are drilling a well. It's done with very sandy soil, only sand, so it's done by hand. They're already about 15 meters in. What's that? Times three, 45 feet. So what, it, what they do is they basically just take water, mixed with a chemical that makes it like slimy, and then it's pumped into the hole and drilled like that. It takes the sand out, traps it into the first trap here, and then the sand will be dug out here and then uh, it's recycled and that's how we're going to go down for 45 meters so we get water Well, there you guys can see that we, um, the two previous videos there was just of the church uh, service on the Sunday, which was absolutely awesome. And then also one night we've shown the Jesus film. And there you can see in that picture, uh, there's some wonderful equipment that is available these days and uh, that was donated to the church there, uh, wherein they can show the Jesus film. It's just a backpack with a projector in it that is battery operated that charges with solar power and it can show the film and they can show it every night. So uh, this was just in the beginning of of the meeting. They struggled a bit with the sound, but they got that right. And I would say in that vicinity, we had about 100, 150 people come and just watch the film. And then just before we uh, before the crucifixion we stop the film and then i tell them about the crucifixion that's going to take place and that jesus christ is lord and i teach them and make the invitation say who won't accept the lordship of christ and people receive jesus lord and that is uh, basically what we what we've done the one night there we also did it we did it two nights the second night i didn't preach because uh, we got stuck in another town and there were things that we had to do but that's a very effective way of reaching people. Now, we showed the Jesus film, and then uh, the next day also we had got some water. We can move to the next slide there. And there you can see some kids uh, just under the hose uh, enjoying the water spraying over them. Uh, 
my guess is that these kids have never experienced that in all their life because they don't have such things uh, there for them. There are some people, obviously, that has got running water in town, but in the outskirts of town and in the villages where these people are, there is not such a thing. There's a hand well where you pump by hand and nothing like that. And they've just enjoyed it so, so much. So I want to just thank everybody that was supporting this mission strip, uh, paying for the fuel, helping to pay the accommodation and whatever is needed. Thank you so much for what you've done. I would like to explain now a little bit. Elena, that's fine. Thank you. I would like to explain to you guys a little bit what the vision is and what I'm thinking of doing in Zambia. I would like to build on the mission station, I would like to build uh, a training facility wherein we can train people that receive Jesus Christ. Uh, this training facility will also be a conference facility. I would love love it if we can sleep 80 to 100 people there. Now, the reason for that is that when the people come out of the villages to this training facility to be trained, uh, we would normally have conferences and teach people for a week, but there is no accommodation and the people don't have money. So they literally sleep under the bushes and the trees. And that is not an effective way where you can train people because the first time it becomes too cold or there's some form of weather, rain or uh, too much heat or anything like that, then the people go back to their homes because you can't sleep every day in the rain for a week. So if we can have a facility where we can train people, it will be very effective in uh, in getting churches established there. I would also like, like I said, we want a training facility, an office or two there, uh, a place where people can eat, a dining hall where people can eat, uh, accommodation for about 80 people where we will have about eight people in a, a large room with bunker beds, you know, and just let the people stay there. Um, and, yeah, it, that, that will make things so good. We also want four or five small, uh, it, it will just be basically, I will put up the plans later, but just a, a, a room, the self-catering unit, basically, that can have a double bed or two single beds in there with a bathroom, a small kitchen facility there for uh, visiting missionaries that they can come and stay there. And then my plan is, to go and uh, stay up in Zambia for, let's say, a month or two in a year. And when I am up there, get missionaries from different places in the world to come, or teams of people to come with me, and then we do, for those two months, enough outreach that the rest of the year can be used to train people. Uh, so what I will do, and this is the strategy, is... I yesterday went and ordered a, a drilling rig that we can drill wells with. And we will then go to uh, areas that is not reached, neighboring villages to where we already have churches. And then we will go and uh, drill a well for them and make it very nice because drilling wells is such a need there. You cannot imagine what it is not to have uh, running water. You cannot imagine what it is to carry 
water for a thousand yards or sometimes even more. Small kids carrying water all the time because that's just the way it works. Or some of them, especially in the areas where the water table is too deep that they cannot drill, I mean not dig a well for themselves. So it's really a hectic situation. If we can go into a small village, drill a well, they will really feel the love of the church for them. And then we would also like to donate iron sheets and put up a small mud structure and then the people that receive Jesus as we, during the evenings, show the Jesus film, the people that receive Jesus will then uh, or immediately have a building that they can go to and where they then can have church. So this is how it will work. We will have a team of people go to our mission site. That There will be a nice place for them to stay. There will be proper toilets, a proper shower, uh, electricity, and whatever is needed. They will then go with me, and the men will go for the well drilling, and we will drill a well during the day for them. And then in the evenings, we will show the Jesus film, lead people to Jesus, and then the local church there will help them then put up a mud structure and we will donate iron sheets for them and then so they can have a roof and that's how a church will be started. And then into the DNA of these newly planted churches will be, um, will be written, and this is the vision that I have, that what happened to them is what they will contribute to in doing the same, in helping other churches being planted to the point that if we can have 25 or 30 churches there that they can continue with this system by themselves and plant churches uh, by each church giving towards helping and starting churches in their area so that it is not just a thing of outside donations all the time to give an idea on what things like this would cost and I'm not I'm not saying this to try and get support for this now. I'm just saying this so that you can know what it is. For $1,000, you can drill a well plus give that building. I imagine that. $1,000 is not money uh, for what you get there. If you can plant a church with about 50 people in it and drill a well with cement around it for the community and everything and do all of that for $1,000, I think is absolutely uh, worth it. And as these congregations then grow and more of them uh, is planted, they will make their donation. But I believe for us, in a start, we can really help the people that way. Um, and then the, it would be a dream to have a, a, a missionary that feel led by God to go and live there for a year or two or three and do mission work there. To I mean, we would build him a house and let him stay there. Um, so that is what I'm what I'm thinking of. We would also would l- we would love to have a small clinic, maybe a waiting room with two rooms where doctors can see people and have missionaries from different places in the world go there and help people that way. Well, that is basically what I have uh, for now. That project, the whole project, I guess, because building cost there is very low. The whole project with everything will be, I guess, 70,000 US dollars. That will pay for everything. So, uh, and 
I mean, we've got the building team, we've got everything. I'm going back in December, uh, the beginning of weeks of December, I'm going back. We will put up another well there. We will have the building plans going and, um, and everything. So we are really deep into getting this done. And I want to thank everybody that is just uh, have a passion for this, a heart for this. And I want to thank you that I could share this with you and trust that what you've seen has also touched your heart. Amen. Now, I want to go and get into the word for today. We are uh, talking, uh, preaching from Romans. And uh, those of you that have your notes uh, with you, uh, you will, we can go back and you will see that we spoke about what obedience is, that Paul talked about that he preached for the obedience to the faith. And I do believe that as we see what is happening in Zambia, obedience to the faith would not be to go and preach the gospel. That is not obedience to the faith. Obedience to the faith is to believe that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead and that he gives you the hope of the resurrection. So when I look uh, at Zambia and what I've done there and I would actually say what the Lord has done uh, in me there it's Christ who lives and in the other people that has given and worked together there in bringing forth what's standing there today I don't see that as obedience I see that as the fruit of God's life inside me the good that is inside you the love that manifests inside you is not an act of obedience that is called the fruit of the Spirit. And obedience, according to the Scriptures, is obedience to the faith. And we talk about obedience to the faith. We can clearly see in Colossians as well, um, Colossians 2, it talks about the faith of the operation of God, wherein people believe that Jesus was raised, and then through the power of the resurrection, we shall be co-raised and have eternal life with him. It's also the faith that the new life that is inside us is on account of God and not on account of our own works. Okay, um, let's go to Romans 1 verse 6. Romans 1 verse 6 reads as follows. It says, Among whom are you also the called of Jesus Christ? So he says here, and he writes to the people in Rome, and he says to them, you are also called of Jesus Christ. And what he had in mind there was that the Gentile people back in that time, which thought that they were outcasts, that they cannot be partakers of the Jewish belief, they cannot have the God of the Jews as their God. He comes and he says something that was very radical for that time. And he said, I want to tell you that are in Rome, you that are Gentiles, that you are also called by Jesus. What that means is that, and, and this is the verse that I have in mind, it's Matthew eleven twenty eight, when Jesus said, and how he called people, he says, I basically Call all those who are laboring and are heavy burdened, overburdened with the practicalities of religion and all the things that they have to do in order for God to bless them or the things that they think they need to do to have life by their own works. I call all of you, come unto me and find rest under my rule as I rule over what destroys you 
and what wants to bring end to your life. Now, let us read um, Matthew there quickly. Matthew 11 and verse 28. It says, You're come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke or my doctrine unto you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke or my doctrine or my teaching is easy and my burden is light. So we see here in Romans 1.6, it says, Amongst whom are you also the called of Jesus Christ? So he's saying, and this is how I see the calling of Christ. The calling of Christ is wherein he called people to take his burden, the burden of Christ, or the yoke of Christ, or the Jewish understanding of that would be the doctrine, the teaching of Jesus, even unto the Gentiles. And what was the teaching of Jesus? The teaching of Jesus, and we mentioned this in our previous message, is clearly found in John six twenty eight, And he said, where Jesus said unto them, when they wondered, what shall we do to work the works of God? That would basically be, Jesus, what is the yoke that you would put upon us? What is the doctrine that you would put upon us? And he says here, the yoke that I put upon you, the doctrine that I put upon you, is simply this, to believe in him whom he has sent, which is Jesus, the Christ, the man who is also now uh, the ruler of, over the heavens and the earth, bringing the life of God into manifestation by his power into whosoever believes upon him. Okay, so he says here, and I think this is a very good thing to understand, that God has called people. And that is why we preach the gospel. And we've just, and since this video is about uh, the report of the outreach to Zambia. I'm going to use that many times in this message. When we go to Zambia, what are we declaring? When we go to people that have not basically heard the gospel preached in terms that we understand it, they've maybe heard God talking to their hearts, not maybe everyone hears that. From conception they hear that. But now there are people that say yes to God in their heart, but now they are here, they need to hear the gospel. What is this all about? It is an act that flows from the revelation that God has called all people. He's called the people in the African bush. He's called the people in, in the uh, uh, swamps and in the villages in Brazil, in the bush there, in the Amazon. He's called all people to enter into his rest. He hasn't called all people to start to work for him. He hasn't called all people to put a burden upon them that they cannot carry. I'm reminded of the passage in Acts 15 where uh, uh, Peter rebuked the Christian Jews that wanted to bring the law to the Gentiles. And he was rebuking them, saying to them, why do you want to put a burden on these Gentiles that neither you nor your fathers could bear. Why will we, why will we trouble them with the law? So when we think of God calling people through Jesus Christ, when he called the people uh, in Rome, he didn't call them to carry a burden that neither 
the Jews of that time nor their fathers could bear. He's not calling them to suffer by works righteousness. He's calling them to have the burden of Christ upon them, which is to believe upon Christ, which would be to stand under his rule where Jesus is the one that rules over what destroys them. And as we read in the communion message in Romans 8 from verse 14, basically saying that that we can be under the power of the resurrection, which is the Holy Spirit bringing forth a brand new life in us. That is what this is all about. That is how this works. So when you think of Jesus calling you, when I feel Jesus calls me, I don't feel Jesus calls me to Zambia. I feel Jesus calls me to have his yoke on me, which is the belief that he rules over my sin and death and that he's promised me eternal life by his doing. And as I... uh, As I respond to the call by believing the truth, I find that Jesus gives me his very life. And the life which is to go and tell people that there is a rule, that there is a power, that there is something greater than willpower, that God has come to bring his rule or his kingdom into manifestation by his doing in us, that rule is then living in me to go and do exactly what Jesus done, not by willpower, but by the birth of the life of God into us. Amen. So let me summarize verse 6 there. Paul writes and he says, Amongst whom are you also the called, uh, also the called of Jesus Christ? So he says to the Gentiles in Rome that you are also the called of Jesus Christ. Jesus has called you. What has he called us into? John 6:28, just a verse above there in your notes, which is I've called you to enter into my rest. That is what he is saying. And then he continues and he says that I've called you into my rest. Jesus says, "Come unto me, all you who are burdened overburdened with the practicalities of religion. You who are overburdened with the fear of death, come to me and I will give you rest. That word rest there is also understood as the condition a person is in after his enemies has been conquered. And so many times in our lives we find, and same here, and, and with, I mean, that's true for everybody. We find that there's an enemy, and we find our enemy is the flesh, sin in the flesh. The good that we want to do, we can't do. And the evil that we don't want to do, we do. And then we come to this conclusion that it's not us who sin, but sin in us. And we've, who will deliver us from this body of death? So what is the enemy? The enemy is a mortal body. Jesus Christ comes and he says, and Paul says, he's called both Jew and Gentile unto the victory that Jesus Christ has attained in his resurrection and unto the victory wherein this victory is manifested and put forth into those who believe and call upon that truth. Amen.
Now, verse 7 goes on and it says, To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called, called, it says here, to be saints, or that is italicized, or actually called saints. So I want to say to you that you who are a Gentile, that you've believed in the, upon, upon Jesus Christ, I want to tell you, you are a saint. You are a saint. You're not going to become a saint. You are saints. You are holy by the doing of God. You don't become holy by your works. Jesus Christ became our sanctification according to Corinthians. He is our wisdom. Oh, he is the wisdom unto salvation. He is sanctification. So Jesus is the one that sanctifies. And then he says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now the beautiful thing here when it talks about grace in Romans 1 verse 7, he says here that grace and peace is from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Now I'm going to say something here that's very difficult to understand because the Trinity is difficult to understand. Because if we think with our cognitive minds, we think how can three be one? And many people say that Jesus Christ is cannot be the Father, um, he is subject to the Father, that the Father is actually God and Jesus is just a human, he is not God. But I'm going to show you from the scripture here and from the Greek that this it is not like that. The Father is the Son, the Son is the Father, is the Spirit, is God. The three is absolutely one. And the fact that we are humans and there is, and that God became flesh and that this man Jesus is also God, we as humans are included into God wherein we can fully share in the very life of God. Amen. Okay, now, um, I just want to say this, Elena, if you want those people to come in, you can allow them to come in. Okay, right. Um, so we're going to Isaiah. Uh, I want to go to Isaiah 9, and we're going to go to verse 6. Isaiah chapter 9. Where is Isaiah? There it is. Isaiah, Isaiah 9 verse 6. talks about Jesus here, and I want you guys to, to see this. Um, it says, Isaiah 9, verse 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Okay, so this is talking about Jesus now. It says here that Jesus, and, and, and we're getting to verse 7 here, wherein it says, that grace and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now with that in mind, I want you to look at the, at the Trinity here, the oneness of God. This Jesus Christ, it says here, unto us a child was born, but a son was given. You've heard me preach many times on this. Baby Jesus is not what was given unto us. The resurrected Jesus is the one that was given unto us. That is the son that was given. The man that was then born from God bodily 
Jesus was born from Mary, but then he was born again a second time. The second time Jesus was born was when he was born from the dead. And according to Acts 13, it says there, This day have I begotten you, you are my son. That resurrected son is what God has now given unto us as the one that has the power and the rule over all of our sin, over all of our death, and the rule over our future, wherein he is the one that can grant us and manifest into us the very life of God, um, since he is fully God and fully man. Now there's a lot to say about that, which I'm not going to get into, but listen to Isaiah 9, 6 here again. It says, Unto us a child was born, unto us a son was given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. Meaning, it is for him to rule over what destroys you. It's not for you to try and change your life. It's for him to give you a new life and manifest the kingdom of heaven in the physical earth. And his name shall be called Wonderful. So Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, shall be called Wonderful. The resurrected Jesus shall be called Counselor. The resurrected Jesus shall be called the Mighty God. The resurrected Jesus shall be called the Everlasting Father. My goodness. Now, let's get back to verse 7 there. Let's read Romans 1.7. For all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now that word and there, uh, if you go and study that out, let me just read that. All of you know that we've changed our format a little bit. Maybe some of you only slotted in now, but uh, three weeks ago we've changed our format of our Sunday service. Our Sunday service is more of an in-depth teaching. And then we find our uh, Facebook messages Mondays to Thursdays as well as on Instagram and in WhatsApp is more of just a simplistic message of encouragement. But our Sundays is dedicated to teaching. So we're going to not be, I'm not going to be scared to take time, jump through scriptures, look at things so that we can have an in-depth understanding of these things. Okay, um, let us go there again to Romans 1. And then I want to just go to verse 7. And I want to look at a, a word there, the word and. I should have put this in the notes. I don't know, I slipped up on that. Um, it says, and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's, the word as the word, it's used as the word also. Um, I think 500 times, it's used 108 times as the word even. So if you, And many times in the King James, the word even is used when it talks about the very same thing. So when we talk about, we can say that Jesus Christ died for us, it was even the forgiveness of our sins, meaning the death and the resurrection, talking about it as the deliverance of our sins. Or God, uh, he made of the two even one new man. And so the word even, one of the meanings of the word even would also be which is. Which is. Now, when I look at grace and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, I think it's up to the translator to decide 
which word fits the best. And we've always used the word and, which I believe is also accurate, where we can say the Father has got an influence upon us and Jesus has got an influence or a grace upon us. But I would like to look at it a little bit more knit into the Trinity and use the word even. And then read verse 7 this way. It says, Grace and peace to you from God our Father, even the Lord Jesus Christ, or which is the Lord Jesus Christ. I think if we can start to see that the Father and the Son is absolutely one, that Isaiah can be fulfilled in saying that this resurrected Jesus shall be called the everlasting Father, wherein he himself said, when they asked him to show them the Father, that he said, have you not seen me? Yet this very man, Jesus, prayed unto the Father, even prayed unto the Father after his resurrection. But this man shall also be called the the everlasting Father. So we will find that Jesus, the man Jesus, would also be the everlasting Father of our new lives. So when we look at uh, uh, Paul praying here, he comes and he says, grace or a divine influence and Peace, peace talking about harmony with God as well as the union between the two people groups which were Jews and Gentiles. That's what's in Paul's mind here. Union between them. So he's saying from God the Father who is also this resurrected Jesus, or we can even put it this way, from God the Father who is fully manifested in the man Jesus the Christ who is God, peace to you, harmony and the influence unto a brand new life. I want to tell you, the man Jesus is God. You want to know what is the name of God? His name is Jesus, (laughs) the Christ, who is also called the everlasting Father, who is also called the Prince of Peace. There's an absolute union. Never underestimate the power of the glorified man, Jesus. The Bible says in Colossians that the fullness of the Godhead dwells in him bodily. Let's go to Colossians there. That would be in Colossians chapter 2. That is, if you go on in your notes, um, Colossians 1.8 there, you will see Colossians, oh, not Colossians, Romans 1.8, We go to Colossians quickly there, 2 and verse 8. And this is what it says. It says, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the traditions of men, after the basic principles of this world, and not after Christ. When he says that uh, you find different systems, you find philosophies of of this world, then you find basically the principle of Christ. What it means when it says there that we are not walking off the basic principles of this world, but off the Christ, it means to say that we're not following man-made principles, but we are following the fact that there is a ruler over humanity who is called the everlasting Father, whose rule has got no end, his dominion is always expanding, and he is bringing the very life of God to humans so that the fullness of the Godhead that is in him bodily shall also be in us. 
And that's what it says here in verse 9. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him. That word complete there, fulfilled, full in him. That is what it means. In the Greek it says you're to make replete. That is to be crammed in fully. That It means to be filled up to the top to cause to abound, to be furnished or supplied liberally. He says here that the fullness of the Godhead dwells in Jesus bodily. That means that when you look at Jesus, there come and you say that he is fully God the Father. You want to call it like that? That would be 100% true. And the man Jesus the Christ, has got full rulership over you and the power whereby God created the heavens and the earth is in that man. And that power in him is called the power of the resurrection or the power of a new creation wherein he creates who he is in you so that we've got access to the very life of God by God as the human Jesus. So I want to say to you, you can pray to Jesus. (laughs) You can call on the name of Jesus. You can boldly, because I I found there's a doctrine going around, even in, in, in the web church, some folk, thinking that Jesus is not God. My goodness. Jesus shall be called the mighty God. Let us get back to that verse. Um, That is Isaiah 9, and we go to verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God. So what is Jesus' name? His name is, what shall he be called? He shall be called the Mighty God. So if Jesus is your Lord, I want to tell you, you don't have to think of him as a go-between. He is the mighty God ruling over you. When he says, I'm coming back, he's truly coming back. Glory to God. He shall be called the mighty God, the everlasting Father. The everlasting Father. He shall be called the Abba. He shall be called the the everlasting God. That is what he shall be called. And he shall be called the Prince of Peace. He shall be called the one that brings peace between God and man as well as between man and man, Jew and Gentile. Hallelujah. He is the absolute Prince of Peace. The one that brings who he is and who man is into harmony, wherein man vibrates with the very same frequency as the very Almighty God, permeated and radiant with a very eternal life possessed by God's Spirit. Hallelujah. That is what he is talking about here. Let us go to verse 8 in uh, Romans, and I'm going to end off with verse 8. It says, First I thank my God, through Jesus Christ, for you all, that your faith is spoken of through the whole world. 
So he comes and he says to the people in Rome here, I want to thank God through Jesus Christ. In other words, I want to thank the Almighty God through what happened in the man, Jesus, who is also one with God. Absolute one. There is no difference. When Paul saw Jesus on the road to Damascus, he saw God in flesh. That is what he saw, and that is our destination. That is what we will have. The Bible calls that forth. He says in 1 Corinthians 15 that in the last day, when the, when the government is given over to the Father, then God shall be all in all. What that means is, when God shall be all in all, it means that there will not be one molecule of your physical body that is not fully one with God, and all is God. It is something that we are afraid to say. I'm not saying that I will become God, but I will say what I can say is that every fiber of our being will be fully God. And we as humans will be glorified with, with a very life of God that we would, that when people see us, they would see the Father. When people see us, they would see the Son. And that was God's dream from the beginning. God made man so that ev- all of him all the time can be fully God. One with God, we cannot be God, but we shall be just like him. For when we see him, we shall be just like him. Now that is amazing. We as humans can give birth to people that are fully human, where every fiber of their being is human. How is it not possible for God to give birth to a human being from his power when he raised him from the dead and grants him eternal life bodily that that human cannot be, wherein God cannot be all in all? Just go and think about it. If God is all in all, that, means, that would mean that would not be one part of that person's being that is not God, and the fullness of God. That would be a better word. There would not be one part of that person's being that is not an absolute demonstration of the fullness of God. Just as Jesus today, bodily, as a human, is the full expression of God, to the point that you can call him the everlasting Father, in the very same way that full expression will be on us on account of God. We will not be God on ourselves. We will be exactly like him on account of him. And the spirit that manifests that truth is already now in us. That's why we've got the hope of eternal life bodily. Now, this faith that the people in Rome had, what was the faith that people had in Rome? Let's read quickly. Uh, I've got it in the notes there. Uh, Let's go again to Colossians. And I'm ending off with what this faith is. It says that your faith was spoken of throughout all the world. Let us see what that faith was. They had a certain persuasion. What was that persuasion? It says here in verse 10, And you are complete in Jesus, in whom the fullness of the Godhead dwells bodily, which is the head of all principality and power. And then verse 11, In whom also... 
you are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the putting off of the body of sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. I don't have time to explain that now. Verse 12, buried with him in baptism, wherein also you are raised with him through the faith of the operation of God who has raised him from the dead. Now what is the faith of the operation of God? The people in Rome had a faith. Their faith was that God has got a certain way of operating. God's way of operating was this. He raised the man from the dead, Jesus Christ. He raised him bodily from the dead. And now, after he raised him from the dead, the influence that this resurrected Jesus, who is also called the everlasting Father, who is called the Almighty God, the influence that the Almighty as a human has on humans is now called grace. The operation of God is the persuasion that as he was raised from the dead, those who believe upon him shall have the very same by the doing of God. This faith was in the people of Rome and was spoken of throughout all the world, which was simply to say that there were now Gentiles in Rome that also believe that Jesus was raised from the dead and that he is ruling over them and their expectation is salvation from death, eternal life, wherein God is the one that circumcises them from the sinfulness of their flesh and God grants them a new kind of a flesh, which is flesh that has eternal life, and that God brings it forth in them. That is what was talked about. When they talked about that their faith was heard of in all the world, it was not as we see the typical word of faith message today, wherein we hear that people, their faith is spoken of. They've got such great faith they can move mountains or you know how great that guy's faith was? He just believes and then God gives him money. And he believes, his faith is so great, he believes that he can have a five-story house. That's not what he's talking about when he talks about their faith. You know, many times we think of people saying, well, you need to have great faith. I, you know, I believe for a jumbo jet. I, I believe for a this. I believe for a that. Which is simply taken, taking a uh, 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 westernized culture and slapping faith and God onto that and trying then to say that that is great faith. No, the faith that they talked about back then was the faith in the operation of God, which was to manifest his kingdom in this world, which is eternal life. Let me just say something here. If you, want to th- if you want to think that the kingdom of God is manifested in you having a nice car, this is what it would mean. If the kingdom of God is manifested in the car you drive, it would mean that the car would never become old, that the car would use no gas, that the car would never deteriorate, the tires would never wear out, and you would find it eternal life in that car, never getting to a point where you have to beg your TV crowd for another jet or car again. That would then be the manifestation of the kingdom. Saying, well, you know, because the kingdom of God, we must prosper, and this is now the manifestation of the kingdom of God and the faith, because we're believing for greater things, 
claiming in the name of Jesus, framing in the name of Jesus. That is not what Romans is talking about there when it talks about that their faith was heard of. It wasn't that, well, we see that the Romans now are trusting for bigger mansions. Wow, we're we hearing about their faith. No, the faith that they were talking about was the resurrection and that they believed that God will grant them bodily immortality. That was the faith in the operation of God that they were uh, that was spread from them. Glory to God. Well, I trust that the testimony of what happened in Zambia has blessed you, as well as this short 40-minute message on Romans. Next week, we will continue and speak on Romans 1 verse 9, and so we're going to walk through the whole of Romans um, in these Sunday messages. I want to thank you so much for watching this. Uh, Thank you for allowing me to serve you. If you want to know anything more about our outreach to Zambia, or if you want to be part of that in any form or fashion, you want to go with on a trip sometime, please let us know. It is life-changing for you as well as for those people. I will see you then again next week. God bless. Thank you.